This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Are you a parent? Better yet, are you a child? Maybe an adult child? The reality is we are all someone's child. Many of us have asked or will ask one of these questions sometime in our life. How do I parent my child once she becomes an adult? Why do my parents treat me like I am a child? How do I support him when I can't support his values? Today's guest, Jim Burns, addresses some of those questions as we talk about the relationship between parents and adult children. Listen to what Jim says about the roles parents play throughout their child's life. Age zero to two and say your job with them is caring and and you're not going to discipline them. You're not giving them a whole lot of advice, obviously. You're just showing care. If they cry, you pick them up. Hungry, you feed them, etc. But then from two to ten, you do pretty much control them. And that's micromanaging in the best term. I mean, obviously, you're not going to say to your kids... Um, you know what, I'm I'm doing this podcast right now, so you guys can go outside, and if you want to go over to the mall, you know, I mean, you're not going to do that, of course. But by about age 10, you've got to turn into a coach, which means you still lead, you still sometimes take them out of the game, put time out, or, you know, coaching, if it was like teaching them piano, you know, you're still in charge, here's what I want you to do, you know, you're still there. But at the same time, they've got to make some decisions, because they've got to learn, you're moving them from dependence to independence, by the time they get to older teenage years, you're almost a consultant. Their day-to-day decisions should be done by them. And there are parents right there who say, yeah, but you don't understand my kid. No, I, I don't. And you may have to squeeze in, especially if there's you know addiction issues or you know sexual promiscuity or things like that. But the truth is, is they should be making most of their decisions. And then by the time they're adults, they're going to have to learn to do it on their own. Now, I went through that whole thing, Amber, because I think a lot of parents miss that, that they, they keep wanting to control. So when you're control, if you try to control your kids as young adults, and I mean young adults, meaning at like 18, 19 and 20, when they're not always acting like adults, if you keep controlling them, then you don't give them that chance to experience some of the highs and lows of life and, and become responsible. I really believe today's episode will give you a lot to think about and some new or altered perspectives when it comes to the parent-child relationship. As we dive in, may I ask you to share this episode with someone in your life who is currently walking toward or in the middle of the adult-child-parent relationship. I would be so grateful. Now on to today's conversation. Good afternoon, Jim, or I guess I should say morning for you out in California. Thank you for being here today. Amber, it's great to be with you and great to have a great conversation even beforehand, just talking about family and life and all that's going on right now with this coronavirus story as we tape it here. I know, right? The crazy world. Our schedules just open up wide and we can have conversations, you know, face to face like this. And it's great. So thank you. Well, go ahead, introduce yourself, your family, and tell all of our listeners a little bit about what you do. Okay. Well, I'm the president of Homeward and Homeward uh, has four values, strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. And so all of our content and all of our mission and ministry and website and everything is based around those four issues. And it kind of starts out of a my background. I, I was not raised in a church. I became mm-hmm. a Christian when I was 16. Youth ministry is a big deal to me, partly because of that. That's awesome. And uh, I met my wife the first day in college, and we got married one week after. We were the ones who said we're not going to do that. <laughs> well, you, then, you met or, and then you got married a week later? No, a week after college graduation. Oh so my gosh. Gave, At first I was like a week later, you are brave. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't go well. But you know, part of that was both of us came from dysfunctional families. So mm-hmm. there was always this place in my heart for kids. Yeah. And um, so my background was youth ministry. And I can remember years ago saying to a guy named Doug Fields, who's kind of the guru of youth ministry, who was actually had been in my youth group. And then, you know, we work together now. And I said, and he was an intern for me at the time years ago. And I said, you know, um, we should probably 
have the kids drop their parents off and we can help the parents because these kids are doing okay, but we're putting them back into homes that are kind of dysfunctional. We, we said that laughingly. I mean, there's truth to that though. Oh, there is. I know. But as time went on, I started moving toward more of the, you know, trying to help families succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't come out of a perfection thing with Kathy and I. Kathy and I have been married 45 years. So we've been married a long time. We write books together. We people, Some people call us marriage mentors, but we have a high-maintenance marriage. You know, and high maintenance is not bad. It just means we got to really keep working at it. Right. So we even laugh at that when we speak on it. And then we have three strong-willed children. Yes, three. We didn't get one compliant child. And um, and now they're adults. And and uh, we have two grandchildren and one on the way with, a, with our other youngest daughter. But anyway, you know, that's been our, our thrill is to try to help families succeed. The phrase line at Homeward is help families succeed. And so when I get up in the morning, I'm trying to do that. And at the same time, you know, feel that within my own family situation, that some of the dysfunctionality, my dad was an alcoholic. Mm. uh, Kathy's family was just kind of dysfunctional period. And so really, in some ways, part of our passion is, is to say, no, the next generation doesn't have to be like this. Um, That we who were raised in a transitional generation can be what we call the transitional generation. Right. The Bible says that you inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth generation. Well, we want to stop that. You can either recover or repeat. And I think Kathy and I, at the beginning of our marriage, were were kind of repeating not all the kind of some of the silly stuff, but we were repeating some of this. And we said, no, we're going to recover. And not that recovery looks perfect by any means, Correct. but that's been our our job. And I even remember a time with our oldest, uh, where she was about seventeen and then had this, you know, kind of copped an attitude. She was also the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, singing in our worship oh, band yeah. at the church. But also, she had the attitude. And I said, you know, Christy. Uh, mom is the person in my, she was mad at Kathy. And I said, you know, mom is the person in my life who's grown the most. And I said, and I put, put my hands out, you know, Mm. kind of distance. And I said, she started in deficit land and she's grown so far. And then I put my hand in the middle and I said, so that you can, you, you know, she carries this weight and she's recovering so that you don't have to, you know, have the same kind of life that she had. And at that point it really changed in many ways. It changed Christie's relationship. Now, I wish I could say it was forever, but they still got hassles, you know, later on. Now they're kind of like best friends. That's what's hilarious. I mean, that's but part of life, right? Like it is. You're not trying to achieve perfection as much as you want to progress in the right yeah. direction. Exactly. And I think sometimes we parents have this feeling, and even with kids, your kids age, Amber, that, you know, if a kid talks back or if they do something wrong, you know, that it all of a sudden is the problem with the parent. Well, frankly, really good parenting has have kids who make some poor choices at times. Mm-hmm. And that's does. the case. Yeah, sure. And that's the case, whether they're adult children or whether they're, which is kind of an oxymoron, adult children, but I still use that phrase. Or, or if they're a two-year-old who's going through the, you know, terrible twos, they're, um, you know, they're still going to make poor choices. And we as parents can't go, oh, it's because of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, no. They're, I always like to say a sinner married another sinner, and then you have sinnerlings, and you kind of bump into each other. <laughs> but the, and at the same time, I talked about marriage, but you know, there's a lot of great single moms out there, a lot of great single dads who are really trying to make it happen. And I say to the single parents all the time, uh, you know what? You're doing a great job, much better job than you think. You're just too tired to know that because mm-hmm. you can't play good cop, bad cop. Like all through you know, our parenting when our kids were younger, I could play good cop, bad cop with Kathy. I'd go, okay, I'll come in and be the bad cop right now. Oh, you be yeah. the good cop. You know, those kinds of things, you know, kind of co-parent. It's much harder when you're a single parent to do that. Absolutely. I know. I mean, even just before we got on this call, I looked at my middle one and said, you know, I can cancel. <laughs> I can cancel this interview because right, right now we got to make some progress forward and we are not making any progress. <clears throat> I mean, we were just going at it with one another. And it's good to think about, you know, when you're parenting from a place of brokenness, sure, that recovery still takes a lot of work. And so those habits slip back in sometimes. No, exactly. And, you know, I tell people all the time, be be ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. You don't have to always focus focus on it, but but the truth is, is it, when you're ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness, I think you parent better Yeah, I do because too. you kind of go, you give yourself some grace. I mean, too many times parents don't give themselves any grace where, you know, they, you know, said something that they didn't want to say, or the volume got raised too much or whatever it was. And they go, guy, who, who am I? I'm a creep right now. Yeah. But the truth is, is that we, we honestly have to be ruthlessly honest about where we're coming from mm-hmm. uh, and be very grateful for the fact that, um, you know, God is in this as well and trying to help us 
do the best we can. And, you know, I, I'm just this morning for some reason, I was reading through my one-year Bible and I happened to hit a part that talked about some of the, the mothers and the fathers of our faith. They weren't exactly perfect people. And yet these are the heroes of our faith. And yeah, they, none of them. You know, no, no, no. So they've, you know, they, they make some of our stuff look kind of healthy. I mean, for real. <laughs> like, so- that's right. I was reading same thing the other day. And I said real quickly, I was like, that's one of those questions I'm going to ask God about. And immediately my 10 year old was like, which one, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so I had to go through the whole Aiken thing and why I would ask God a certain question about why the whole family had to pay the price for Aiken's sin. Yeah. And that opened up a whole nother. And I thought, Oh my goodness, yeah. let's just move on. because right. the, the idea here is just to know that we all all make mistakes and sometimes our no, children. Exactly. You're exact. But what you did, Amber was really good because, you know, we who are studying where kids are going when they become adult children, unfortunately, a lot of them are, are walking away from faith. Yeah. And yet there's some studies out right now, clinical, and I'm not like Mr. You know, academic, but there's some studies that are pretty exciting that say if there are faith conversations in the home, mm-hmm. there's about a 300% better chance that they'll stay in faith. Yeah. That's huge. It is. So faith conversation doesn't mean that you have to pull it all together and say, oh, this is what it said in, in the Old Testament. I don't have any questions. Actually, it's much better for you to model, here's what went on and here's a Bible story. And I'm going to ask God about this because I don't have a clue. Right. That's good faith conversations. And that's going to keep your 10-year-old, when your 10-year-old is 18, feeling pretty healthy because there's going to be moments of doubt or moments right. of when they disown mom's faith or whatever. And they're going to go, wait, mom had questions too. And look at her. She's still doing okay. So, I mean, that's beautiful stuff. Yes. Well, we are going to talk about parenting adult children. I'm going to put that in air quotes because the reality is our children are always our children. Even when they're, you know, 50 years old, if we're still alive, they're our children. And exactly. so we so seldomly think about the fact that one day I'm going to grow up and be, still be a parent of these adult children. But I have heard it said over and over again by my friends who now have young adult children I never dreamed this would be so hard. And so as we begin talking about that, what were some of the transitions that you and your wife really feel like you went through when your yeah. kids first became adults? Well, we it was kind of shock and maybe a little awe, but mainly shock because we hadn't planned for it. We'd invested two decades of our life doing what you're doing right now. Yeah, you know? keeping your head and, afloat. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, you know, they get to be like 18 and they're going, but I'm an adult. And, and I'm like, wait, wait, we're still paying for your cell phone. In fact, we're paying for your college education, you know, on and on, Mm -hmm. but I'm an adult. So treat me like an adult. And so what we had to realize was that we kind of had to grieve it, to be honest. And, and especially my wife, Kathy, because she had, she's a teacher and she had, uh, after Christy was, we adopted Christy, our oldest. And after Christy came into our life, Kathy decided to stay home. and be a stay-at-home mom. And I respect people who work and I respect people who stay at home and I respect both. She stayed at home. I'm pretty, a a big sacrifice on her part in a beautiful way. Well, I don't think she would say it's a big sacrifice because I think she loved it. And yet at the same time, you know, there were financial sacrifices and her work sacrifices and that. So anyway, what we realized was that for Kathy, her identity was kind of wrapped around being needed 24, seven, 365. And if she stopped being needed as much, there was there was some grief. And in fact, in the book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, I actually quote a, a quote by a woman who wrote a great children's book called Alexander and His Very Bad, Horrible, No Good Day. Oh, yes. But love the book. Yes. But anyway, what she said is every mom, every dad has to understand be, when you have an adult child, it's a necessary loss. And, you know, I never thought mm-hmm. of it as a loss, but really the loss of the day to day, you know, now, now, again, today. I've connected well, all three of my daughters. One lives in New York. One lives in Marina Del Rey in Los Angeles. So that's farther away from me. And then my daughter, Christy, and her husband, for a short time, are living at our house with, with our two grandkids. We are living the doing life with adult children thing. They're in a, they're in a, they moved from Texas to California. But anyway, so, you know, I've, I've connected with all of them. But there have been times where I don't know what they're doing anymore. And they're not asking me for advice anymore. And I'm like, wait, what? What happened here? Well, that's a good thing because the bottom line is as parents of adult children, I always say you're fired as a day-to-day parent. Your role has to change. Mm -hmm. You've got to give your kids the passport to adulthood. And in doing that, you're helping them become a responsible adult because the bottom line, whether you have a a four-year-old and a 10-year-old, what's the other age of yours? Seven. Seven. So four, seven, and 10, or whether I have ones who are in their young 30s, it's helping them become responsible adults. So you even parent your seven-year-old 
like how can I help my seven-year-old become a responsible adult one day when it comes to discipline, when it talks about when it talks about sex education, when it talks about faith issues and all that. That's hard to do, but that's really what we're what it's about. So we had to come. Kathy and I had to come to the conclusion. Well, actually, it's a good thing that they're becoming adults. Give them the passport. Rewrite the parenting script. That doesn't mean we're not parents. Exactly what you said. But we are parenting a parent to child. Uh, the illustration you gave with your child that said, "Okay, I can cancel this or not." That's parent child, rightly so. For us, now it's uh, it's adult-adult. It's still parent, but it's an adult-adult relationship. Right. So sometimes, like say with some of your friends or adults, you, you know, you're not going to always give them advice. Sometimes you're just going to swallow hard and go, okay, well, that, you're an adult. You're living an adult. That's an adult decision. Okay. We've had to learn how to do that with our own kids. Yeah, it's a real conscious effort to shift your mindset. Oh, it, and it is a mindset sh- mindset shift that a lot of parents struggle with. Now, and, and I, I, think I the can kids already too. tell you, I think I'm going to struggle with it. <laughs> no, oh, exactly. Uh, we all do. But it's a mindset shift for the kid, too, because they've never been an adult. So they don't really know how to be an adult and they don't know how to now be the child of an adult. And it's a mindset shift for the parent because they've never parented an adult child. And just when you think you got it straight, then the next one comes along and you're like, what? It's just like, you know, with parenting, you're kind of like, wait, as a two-year-old, my oldest didn't act like this. What's going on? As a four-year-old, as a six-year-old. Well, that's the same with adult children. All of our adult children um, kind of had different moments of like, we're going, what on earth happened here? And yet our kids are great kids. I mean, I I don't have the horror stories, but at the same time, there were times when, well, I, I can remember a time with our oldest, Christy, they were moving to Texas. And they were trying to figure out their move. And so it's sitting in our living room, her husband and her and the two kids were were handling and they're having almost an argument. You know, you don't they don't argue as much in front of mom and dad, but you could tell it was a little heated on how what they were going to do to move. So I walk in and I said, hey, do you guys mind? I've got an idea. I think it's a better idea than both of yours. I thought mm-hmm. Steve, who I love my son a lot. I thought He'd his be idea like, was sure. <laughs> Yeah. And, and Christie's was, you know, not as good. And I said, I've got the idea. And I go, can I can I speak into this? Because I'm trying to ask for permission more. Right. And Christy puts out her hand and goes as she's looking at Steve still. Not now, Dad. Not mm-hmm. now. And I'm thinking, wait, people pay me to give advice. <laughs> <laughs> and I've given you advice all my life. I didn't say any of that. I just thought it. And yes. later on, we were in Texas. I was speaking in Texas the week. I kind of set up a speaking engagement right when I knew I was going to be able to help them move in. And Kathy flew out and they had had a disaster move because they had lost a baby dresser and they'd lost a crib um, over on a, I mean, it was just the wrong decision. They should have taken my advice, but they didn't ask. (laughs) So I get there and Christy goes, oh my gosh, we just, this was miserable. She goes, what was your suggested dad? And I told her and she goes, dad, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me? We we would have done that. Well, I said, well, you you didn't want me to at the time. And she goes, oh, my gosh. Oh, well, the funny part of that is, is they used my idea as they moved back now to California. And it, and, uh, and it worked for them. They're like, oh, wow, Dad, we should have listened to you. But I had to actually, you know, my, the big line, and this is for kids at any age, but it's with adults especially. Experience is a better teacher than advice. So sometimes they have to experience something. Instead of just us giving advice, because, you know, I, I'm the guy who goes, but why as an adult child, what, why does she need to go to Europe to, you know, to find herself? I have all the answers right here. I mean, we could save a lot of money. Just come and have a cup of coffee right, with me at Starbucks. And we're reality. Good. It is a reality. Experience is a better teacher. And sometimes it's, I think it's hard as a parent, at least it was for Kathy and me, still is at times when they're making a kind of a silly decision. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, man, seriously. But experience is a better teacher than advice. And so many times now that we have adult children and I, I, the the book doing life with your adult child is, is, is a recent, it's just come out, but I've laughed because I'll go, okay, principle number two, you know, keep your mouth shut. That's right. Right now, you know, advice is, you know, is seldom taken as, is most often taken as criticism, seldom taken as, you know, like whatever. And, uh, and I just laughed that we're now quoting each other. My wife and I quote, back some of the principles in the book, but you know, they've got to learn how to do it themselves. Well, and that's the thing I was going to mention to people is this, the book that you have out now, there are nine, is it nine principles or is it six? Nine principles? Principles, it's nine yeah. principles. And a yeah. couple of those are, you know, you've already talked about them a little bit, but your role as a parent must change. You can't want it more than they want it. But I want to talk a little bit about principle number five, which is your job is to move them from dependence to independence, which we talked about a little bit, 
But what are some of the common mistakes parents make in this area of moving their kids from dependence to independence? Well, it's they don't let them make their own decisions. I mean, in fact, I would start at, at age zero to two and say your job with them is caring and, and you're not going to discipline them. You're not giving them a whole lot of advice. Obviously, you're just showing care. If they cry, you pick them up hungry, you feed them, et cetera. But then from two to 10, you do pretty much control them. And that's micromanaging in the best term. I mean, obviously, right. you're not going to say to your kids, um, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this podcast right now. So you guys can go outside. And if you want to go over to the mall, you know, I mean, you're not going to do that, of course. But by about age 10, you've got to turn into a coach, which means you still lead, you still sometimes take them out of the game, put time out or, you know, coaching, if it was like teaching them piano, you know, you're still in charge. Here's what I want you to do. You know, you're still there. But at the same time, they've got to make some decisions because they've got to learn. You're moving them from dependence to independence. By the time they get to older teenage years, you're almost a consultant. Their day-to-day decisions should be done by them. And there are parents right there who say, yeah, but you don't understand my kid. No, I, I don't. And you may have to squeeze in, especially if there's, you know, addiction issues or, you know, sexual promiscuity or things like that. But the truth is, is they should be making most of their decisions. And then by the time they're adults, they're going to have to learn to do it on their own. Now, I went through that whole thing, Amber, because I think a lot of parents miss that, that they they keep wanting to control. So when you're control, if you try to control your kids as as young adults, and I mean, young adults, meaning at like 18, 19 and 20, when they're not always acting like adults, if you keep controlling them, then you don't give them that chance to um, experience some of the highs and lows of life and, and become responsible. Because no even young adult wants you to always give them advice because that what they view that is, is that you don't trust them or you don't mm-hmm. think they're grown up enough. And that's not always the case, but some parents do that. So, you know, why is it that parents are still doing homework for their kids when they're in college? Um, why is it that they're, you know, calling the boss to say, you know, so-and-so can't come to work today because they have a fever or things like that when they could really be doing it on their own? Why are they still making the doctor's appointments? I mean, you make your children's doctor's appointments and you should, but when they're adult, young adults, they should learn to do that on their own. Absolutely. That's a good perspective. So, why do we do that? We don't do that because we don't want to take care of them still. There's still a mothering instinct. There's a fathering. There's nurture. But we've got to be able to let them make those decisions on their own, even if they're not as good as you would make them, because you're not going to be there for them. You're not going to go to college and make their bed for them. So you better teach them, you know, when there's in those later teens or whenever that it's it's when they make their bed. It doesn't even have to be later teens. It could be younger. But, you know, you, you have to help them with that responsibility. Parents are still trying to make the decisions for their kids when their kids are adults and their kids are rebelling from that. Well, and it's a good thing for me to hear you put kind of, and not everybody's brain works this way. So I do understand that. But for you to say like from, you know, two to 10, because I have a 10 year old now, I can see some of the subtle shifts going to more of like a coaching type role. But it's good for me to have that that wording to think right now is the time And I mean, I totally understand that coach's role. If you've been on a team, you know, they're teaching you, but you are the one responsible for executing. Perfect. And that's, uh, and that's exactly right. And again, you're still in the protection mode. You're still not going to hand them, you know, social media at age 10. Right. That could be destructive. I mean, all those kinds of things. You're still instructing and you're still teaching, but at some point they have to go and play the game. Exactly. And then when they're adults, they're playing the game. So let them play the game. I have a friend who is the president of a university, college university, and he had a mom call him and say, um, you know, my son got a, a D on a on a business paper. I want you to talk to the business professor. And, and he's like, wait, I'm, I, he didn't say this, but he said to me, I'm the president of the university. Why Why is she calling me? Why doesn't she call the professor? But he actually, and, and then I laughed told the professor, I just got a call from this mom. She goes, oh, and the professor said, I totally remember the, the, the man. I mean, he's in my class. He's actually a good student. This was just a bad paper. He got an F. He, I would have given him an F, but I was giving him grace. And so he, my friend, who's the president, calls the woman and she goes, how dare you say that? I have an MBA from Stanford and I wrote that paper for my son. <gasps> <laughs> well, in the short run, she thought she, she was only trying to you know, help her son for some reason. But the truth of the matter is, you know, when he gets into, I mean, into the workforce, she's not going to be there. So we laugh that that she got a bad grade when actually she already had an MBA from a great you know school. But 
way too many parents are still doing that. We've got to back off, let them. If we don't, the question we have to ask is, are we enabling dependency because we feel like we still have this need? I mean, there's a cool part. Every morning, my you know, grandkids I mentioned live with me. And so every morning I'm up early and my little James, who's my oldest grandson, he's four, he comes around the corner and I'm thrilled because I'm sitting there and I've got my coffee and I've got my iPad out typically and and he comes in and then I just put stuff aside. I mean, I just absolutely love that moment. I mean, it's just so cool. But I can't enable dependency with him where I just I always take care of everything. Even as a four year old, there's certain things he's going to have to right. realize because he, he wants to we have a Bible app on my phone and he wants to see the Bible app every morning. And there's times I just don't think he should be on that all the time. I mean, Absolutely. even though it's a Bible app, it's awesome. But but so he gets it at certain times. So like today I said, no, we did Bible app yesterday. Why don't we do something different? And then it was cool. He, it, I mean, this is like my the joy of my life. He brings out a devo, a, his little devotional. He goes, well, let's do devotionals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in heaven. That's right. Uh, but I can't have him enabling where every time he comes to even grandpa that I do something for him. He, he asked for cookies today. He and his mom had made cookies last night. And I went, oh, I'm the grandpa. I can do that sometimes. But I went, you know what? He went to bed with a cookie still kind of coming out of his Mm -hmm. mouth. Um, No. And so I said, no, well, I didn't do that because I hate James. I love James and I want to spoil him. I'm the grandpa. But I also don't want to have him think that every time he's with grandpa, he can get away with it. But see, the same with parents. Sometimes you've got parents who are in two different viewpoints of, of discipline. And so, you know, you have Disneyland dad or Disneyland mom or whatever it might be. Well, you're doing that partly because you're, you are enabling dependency on you. Like, I'll go to mom. She's easier. I'll go to dad. He's easier. Oh, listen, I know all about that just from childhood. You know how you're like, I don't want to go to that one. I know the answer is no. Well, and that's something else. So around what age would you say, and I know this is loosely that you really do become that consultant. You said teenager, would you say like high school age, 14, 15, say, or just depends yeah, I'd on say, the kid? I'd say more, I'd say more high school because you're really getting them to become a, a responsible adult. Now back in, and I write about this in the book, doing life with your adult children, but you know, we never really used to have what we call emerging adulthood. You know, when I was at Princeton doing in grad school, I learned you had Children, adolescence, which was relatively new, and uh, adulthood and elderly. Well, now we have something called emerging adulthood. So the teenage years, you're you're a consultant, but you're also semi-consultant even at age 18 through, you know, 21 or so. But emerging adulthood goes all the way to, you know, the brain doesn't quit growing until you're 24. So it goes all the way to kind of when they get married. I mean, some don't choose to get married, but, you know, people are getting married later. So the millennials today, and, and I think the Gen Z will do this, too, and they're just coming to toward adulthood. But, you know, they kind of meander toward adulthood. So like I mentioned with Kathy and I, we we got married right out of college. That was not that weird. I mean, we now right. look back, we go, we can't believe we got married at 21. We are not. What were we thinking? Yeah. But. And I'm sure that my parents, who actually did a really good job because they just kept their mouth shut. Or maybe they liked Kathy so much that they went, Jim, you'll never get anybody better. Go for her, even though you're so young. But today, they're meandering toward adulthood. So it's a little harder for parents of young adults. And so I spend a lot of time in the in the book doing life kind of thinking through that young adulthood. What about the failure to launch? What about the boomerang when they come back? <laughs> I mean, we have them back right now because of a housing situation. But, you know, in two and a half months, they'll be into their own place. But all of our kids move back home after college at yeah. least one time. Yeah. And all of our kids have a master's degree. And, you know, one has a degree in clinical psychology and others an MBA. But they move back into our our world. For one reason or another, Christy, the one who's living there now, she did too. She moved back in and actually while she was going to college or going to, to grad school. Well, fantastic. We were thrilled about that. But we also realized we even had to treat them differently. Well, that's what I was going to say. I when mean, they in, come in back into your house, the relationship, I think at that point, I don't know, but I mean, we did live with my in-laws for four months. Same thing as your daughter, primarily because we were moving from Kentucky to Florida So, and we didn't have any kids at the time, but it was just a transition period for us while we were finding a home. And yeah, you can't have the expectation that your parents should treat you the same or vice versa when you're now 24 years old. Like you don't need to be mooching off them and they shouldn't be telling you to come home at, you know, 11 p.m. 
Well, we said to our kids, because college changed all of that for us, because they, you know, they, they didn't, their hours, 11 p.m. would have been nice, you know. Oh, um, yeah. And it wasn't like they were out partying or whatever. They were at a friend's house watching yeah. a movie or whatever. But still, we had to say, look, at, now that you're at our house, there are a couple of rules. You got you to gotta be productive. You got to be financially responsible. Or if you're in college, we get it. But you've also got to tell us what you're, where you're at. So yeah, like what we can we expect? At, yeah, at 10 o'clock, we, we, we're not expecting you to live by our standards. But at 10 o'clock, we want to text from you. And we don't want to, we don't want to text you because that makes us look weird. We want a text from you saying, hey, I'm over at, you know, so-and-so's house. I'm watching a movie. I'm planning on being home by midnight, whatever it might be. Right. Because, again, we weren't going to sleep. I mean, when this when our kids were in college and then they'd come back, they they were like, well, why do we need to tell you when we're coming home? Well, you are our children, you know, yeah. and 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 you're you're in this. house. So some of the rules, we just had to have those good kind of conversations and have some healthy expectations, healthy boundaries. Yeah. We seem to do okay. Becca, I remember she had already been out. She this is my middle child. She had already been out. She'd lived with a girlfriend. The girlfriend moved. She comes back home. She says she wants to be there for two months. She ended up being there for two years while she was getting her her master's in clinical psychology. But she was going back to seventeen. So she was reverting back to what's for dinner, and we're going. Oh, sorry, we're going out. Well, so so I have to fix my own dinner. We're like that would be wise. We're not going to fix it. But it's it was easy hard for us, us to do that. Kathy would go, well, maybe I should fix her a, a taco before we go. And I'm going, no, this kid, she's been out on her own. But what we laughed was I gave her a bucket with like a toilet scrub brush and these different things. And I go, hey, now that you're here, we're so excited because you know the bathroom that you're using? It's yours. And I gave it to her. And she's like, you know, what's this? She had never had to clean the bathroom. Basically. I mean, minor, move right. all of the garbage that was on the sink someplace. But I go, so do you know how to – to use a toilet scrub brush, she goes, I have no idea. I go, well, wow. let me show you. And and it was funny because, and we and we asked for her, again, little things. Like we said, we would love to have a dinner at least once a week with you now that you're living. And, and it was kind of cool because as time went on, she would call us the roomies. So she would go, yeah, I'm just going to hang out with the roomies today. And yet there were many times when people would say to her, Hey, so where do you live? And and it's she traveled with me for four years. Oh wow! So she was a missionary in Ecuador, and then she came back and was traveling with me for four years. And so they'd say, "Where do you live, Becca?" And she would never say, "I live with my parents." So she would go, "I live in Dana Point. We live in Dana Point, California. I live in Dana Point. Oh, good, <laughs> you live near your parents." And she'd smile and go, "Yes. Well, it's actually the bedroom right next door to mom and dad's bedroom." <laughs> but she didn't want to tell everybody that story. But That's it was hilarious. also perfect saved her all kinds of money while she was getting her, you know, her school uh, done, her master's done. Well, and as we talk about, you know, moving them into independence, I did an interview a while back with um, Jeremy Pryor of Family Teams. And we talked a lot about, like, how do you keep that family team type approach, yeah. which is very non-Western, where I'm not trying to kick them out of the nest, per se, but instead, I want them to continue as adults to be a part of the family team, yet still be productive. Right. How do you feel like that could play out where... Oh, adult children? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. If the adult children live around you, you know, I know people who Sunday night is, if you want to come, come. If not, there's some fun food. You know, let's do it. You know, we, when our kids got to be high school kids, they would, and I'd laugh because my background is youth ministry, but um, they would go, you know, church is boring. We don't like youth group. You know, there's clicks and we'd go, well, as long as you're living at our house, then churches, I mean, if you want to come and sit with us, that's fine. But they didn't want to do that. Why don't? We, and one time I said to Kathy, why don't we go to breakfast? So there's this kind of, it's not a fancy breakfast place. It's like what you guys have. Oh, I can't think of the, it's kind of like the diner place that's so prevalent in the South. We don't have them in California. Um, oh, they're so famous. They're yellow. They're, they're on every corner. At, you know, I can't think of it, whatever the diner is. Um, I'll think of it and I'll come to it. But um we kind of go to that place. Well, we still do that as a family. Our kids would kind of go, Hey, are we going to RJ's, you know, on Sunday? And then kind of cool. They would just, you know, then as adults would, you know, would come to church with us, yeah. but it was, you know, RJ's was a thing. I know other people who, um, like, well, when Christy and Steve moved into our house, married, we said, so what night's your date night? We get to watch the kids. We're excited. Well, they hadn't been practicing as many dates when they were living in Texas because, frankly, it was going to be costly. It was yeah. So we just went, "What? when's your date night? So I think you just put those kind of things in there. But I think you do it with loose hands. Like we've said, we're not going to push on on holidays with you guys. 
And if they were going to go to their in-laws or they were going to have one of our daughters is married a significant other or whatever, that family, then we said, look, at Thanksgiving doesn't have to be on Thursday. Or do you guys want to do Thanksgiving on Sunday? We take the pressure off of that. Yes, yes. That helps so much. And I've found that that's a, something really practical we can do as, as as parents. But there's lots of things that I think that adult parents can do to keep the relationship going. Uh, I said to my daughter, Becca, who, again, lives in New York City, and I said, hey, when I was in college, you know, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have yep. Skype and all this. But I, my parents asked me to to call once a week. And Becca is the one who can, she's the one who traveled with me, but at the same time, she could, she's the one who could go, you know, a month without talking to us. And um, that way, so yeah. bad. So then so I said, hey, would you, would you be open to a, you know, to a weekly, you know, kind of check-in call, just chit-chatty? I go, it's nothing, you know, we're, you're out on your own, whatever. And she goes, oh, I'd love that. So we have this weekend check-in call. And it's funny because of the situation, to, like I was, I texted her with her today. I texted with my daughter, Heidi, today. I mean, I was with all of them today because we're talking about the, you know, the virus and life and right. changes. And they knew I was going to be actually in Hawaii instead of talking to you right now uh, for a conference. So, you know, we're, we're talking more, but because we have this one deal, she's like really excited about that. Yeah. And I kind of laugh because she's going, she'll, she'll text me and go, Hey, I know you're going to call at this time, but I can't. Can we, you know, move it back 45 minutes or, or whatever? Yeah. How cool is that? That is so cool. it's no, but I think you have to work on it, but you have to keep it really loose because yep. they're, they're adults. So if they go not today, then we go shoot, darn crud. Okay. Yeah. And, and with your kids, that's not going to happen because it's going to be today if you need to right. do something with them, we have to keep it loosely, but it's also like, even as a couple for Kathy and I, we have to make sure that we're working on our own self-care and in our own marriage and all that, because look at, for many people, they have a child-focused marriage. And so one day you wake up and you go, wait, these kids aren't around. I was with a, a guy yesterday in my office who said, my kids are adults and my wife and I don't have a relationship because we really realized we did all the whole relationship was around our kids and now they're not needed. My wife goes this way and I go this way. And he goes, I'm trying to come back, but she's like, hey, I'm kind of good how it is. Yeah. Well, you know, they need some counseling. You know, the Bible says where there's no counsel, the people fall. A multitude of counselors are safety. They need some help with their adult children, but they also need some help with their marriage That's because right. marriage changes as well. Yeah. And it can't be better. I mean, we look at this, frankly, as better than it was. It doesn't mean that we didn't want our kids, but we went, wow, we've got some, we, we haven't We had like being spot. with each other. <laughs> no, we kind of went, you know, before we had kids, there were spontaneous dates. There were spontaneous moments. There was whatever. When you have kids, you don't have as much spontaneity. Well, now right. we have that. Yeah. So we need to take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, and I love that you say focusing on the family team. Like a great place to start really is the family meal time or whatever, because I grew up where my grandmother, I mean, she just always had Sunday lunches. I mean, that's just what she did. And there was never an expectation that everybody's going to be there. Never. Right. It was awesome. just like everybody showed up and you were there. And it was always amazing to me as I got older. I'm like, how does she get all these things made by like 1230, right? <laughs> like everybody's going in and out of church and somehow we show up and it's all there. All there. That's and awesome. I mean, there's not a pressure for that either. But it was just interesting because even as we grew up and went away to college, it didn't matter. I could come home any Sunday and there'd still be it's food so on the table. Hey, isn't that cool? You know, that's, I love that, Amber. And I love that your grandma did that without really the expectation. See, the, yeah. the main part of that was, it wasn't like they were calling up going, are you, you know, you're late, you know, are you coming? No, it was like, if you can come, great. Yep. We're, we laughed because last, last night we were talking about the transition because again, they're moving to another house that's right now being rented, but it's going to be open, you know, in a few months. And uh, so we're sitting around the table and we're, and James, my, my grandson said, well, can we still do pizza and a show? Every Friday night we do pizza and a show. And the show for him is he gets to watch a 20 minute Netflix, right. you know, cartoon type thing. And, um, and he just thinks it's the greatest thing. And Christy and Steve said, oh yeah, we'll be Papa Jay and, and grandma's um, every Friday night. And Kathy and I kind of just stole a look like, oh well, that's, that's cool. Like we were really excited about it at the same time. We went, wait, they're making decisions on what, how we're going to spend our Friday <laughs> nights. Well, we'd rather spend our Friday nights that way, to be honest with you. I know. But I just, I loved it because in his mind, no, we still do Friday nights are still pizza in a show, you know, whether we're in another house or not. Yep. Yeah. Now, again, there's a lot of people who don't have their children close by. Absolutely. So, and so that's, you know, like for me with, with Becca, there's a, because she isn't close by, 
you know, I'm using FaceTime all the time and, you know, connecting and I'm sending her weird cat videos because I can just to kind of go, I'm thinking about you, you know, whatever. I'm not really saying I'm thinking about it. I'm just going, Hey, hilarious video. Boom. I'll get something back. So I can still stay in touch with her. I can still be a fully engaged parent without, you know, being there every, every, every well, moment and that's of the time. that's the thing, even though like, so then my in-laws, when we lived in Florida every Friday night, my mother-in-law cooked and we had dinners there. And at the time it was all of her grand or their grandkids were there. So my yeah. three and then my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's four. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, my kids were really little when they were there. Um, we moved when my oldest was six. So yeah. They still, though, that's a memory that's always like even positive memory. Right. Zoe can even still remember Friday nights at grandma's, even though when we left Tampa, she was four. So now we have a Shabbat dinner every Friday night that launches us into a Sabbath. And that's already something that my my four year old currently is starting to remember. Like he just is ready for every Friday night. And if whoever's in town, they just join us. So those kinds of things do kind of promote that. You know, and it's funny, this this part of the conversation started because you ask a question, how do we stay in touch? Well, it, it's crazy. Today, we can stay in touch. We can. And it's things like that. It, and it takes discipline. Sure, that's that dinner that you do on Friday night takes some time and some it effort does. and some thinking about it. But the truth is, when they are old and they look mm-hmm. back, they're going to look at Friday nights as a big deal. And there's going to be some Fridays when, as as the teen years, they're going, yep. uh, you know, like, can I go out for a hamburger instead? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you'll have to decide how you do that. But they will look at that, you know, meaningfully. I, I, I used to have a radio show and I interviewed Ruth Graham, the daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, um, who I love. I love her. And they call her Bunny. But she goes every Sunday. It was the same thing with you. Every Sunday we had a dinner right after church with at grandma's house, which was right down the road from the Graham compound that Ruth Graham, the mother, her mom and dad lived. And she goes, there were times where, you know, they didn't let us watch TV and we played games and all that. She goes, I crave those, but there were times when I didn't, Yeah. but I now look at that. She goes, I can smell the dinner. She's, yeah. she's my age. So she's in her sixties and she, she goes, I can still smell the, you know, the roast beef or whatever oh, it was, yes. you know, they had the dinner side. I, it's still a part of my life and my memory, and it's really a good memory. Yeah. We were talking about busyness because we get so busy that we what 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 happens is is we we get busy and then we move away from the discipline of those types of really meaningful times with family. Yeah, purposeful routines. I mean, yeah. Everybody gets sick of them every now and then, but the reality is, if you ask anybody in the long run, I think as an adult. There's very few people who are going to look back and be like, man, I sure, I sure hated all those Sundays I spent at my grandma's, you know, unless no, something no. horrible was happening, nobody's saying no. that. Sure. Some people are coming from not right. the situation where it was like your grandma. I get that. I just wrote down the two words, purposeful routine. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm going to steal Every that now and then I come up with a good one. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to steal that. I'll give you credit the first time and then it's mine. All mine. <laughs> no, I well, love it. Tell us, because something you have said for adult parents is one of the hardest things is really abstaining from giving advice. We talked about that a little bit, yeah. but I mean, gosh, I can already tell you being the type of person I am, that's hard. That's hard with my young kids. And right now it's more permissible, right? But as your kid gets older, like, how do you really rein that in? What are the things, what's the self-talk you got to give yourself to say, I cannot speak into this. I mean, this is a podcast, but, you know, we're Skyping. So maybe you can see the scar on my tongue from biting my tongue oh. with adult children. So the principle is unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. Mm-hmm. And with an adult, they want they want you to respect them. And so they want you to not give them that kind of advice, give advice, even if you're right. And this is where it's really hard. Now, I, I love the movie. Oh, I love this. This is years and years ago called Field of Dreams. And, and oh, some yeah. guy built a a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield in, in Iowa. And he'd go, if you build it, they, will, they come. will come by keeping my mouth shut. And, and it's hard for me and it's hard for harder for my wife. But I think when we do that, they actually do come back. I mean, Heidi, my youngest was asking me all kinds of mentoring type questions today on text. And I think that comes out of the fact that I'm really trying not to, you know, always give her advice. advice. So she's still doing it, but now I'm, I, you know, my role is not just advice giver, but more, 
waiting. I'm a mentor. I'm caring for her. So as a relationship changes, you know, you ask your mentors questions, but to do that, you know, I mean, nobody wants somebody to always be giving them advice. Mm. It's, it's almost rude because they don't view it as just advice. They view it as you don't trust me. Yeah. And again, as an adult, like your kids aren't thinking that right now. Your seven-year-old didn't go today when you said something, they weren't going, you don't trust me. I mean, they don't have that cognitive ability. They, they will when they're teens more and then when they're adults, totally. So, you know, I think it's just important for us to keep our mouth shut and allow them, you know, to, to figure it out. If they come to you and they want help, then of course you give that to them. So it's still a part, but you know, it's, it's a hard one. I mean, Kathy, my wife is the ultimate advice giver. Like today I had two clippings. I'm trying to lose weight. So she had two clippings. <laughs> she has body fat on her and she just makes me, you know, she eats like a bird and, um, and I'm a stress eater and all this kind of stuff, if you know what Amen. I'm saying. So I'm like, Oh man. So she gives me these two things of advice. She didn't do that. She did that because she loves me. She didn't do it because she was trying to nag me. She just goes, Oh, this will help Jim. But I kind of looked at it and went, how fat does she think I am? You yeah, know, that it doesn't kind of help. <laughs> no, but so with our kids, it's harder for Kathy, but she has to realize at times when she asks a question, they get defensive and it's not because it wasn't a good question or it wasn't a good piece of advice. It was because they took it as you don't trust me. Mm. So I think we just have to learn to keep our mouth shut. And, and I would say that's, again, especially because we have our daughter you know, living with us right now. And I would say we talk about this every day. We, we have to say, okay, hold the tongue. At the, and, and yet at the same time, just because they live in our house, we have to say, hey, Christy, you, you know, please, you, you know, we have a pool. You, know, you left the pool gate open and it has to be closed. And she goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, whatever. There are times you just have to do that. You take the hit. But you know, more deposits than withdrawals. And a withdrawal is mm. when you adult children advice. Oh. That's just going to be, I mean, it's like I said, it's already hard for me to um, yeah, sure. not give advice. Well, you're the advice. I mean, the age of your kids, that's what you yeah. do. And yeah. that's good. And so you'll have to make that transition. In fact, you'll make that transition, Amber, as your 10-year-old, you'll first see it with your 10-year-old. And each kid is different. But as they get a little bit older, you know, you're going to see them, you know, now you're in charge of what they wear probably most of the time anyway. But, but you know, there's going to be something when they're like 13 or 14 and you're going to go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> is it is and w- when they're younger it's like okay i need to do i need to give this advice or no i'll just i'll just see how it plays out it's both yeah very seldom do you give advice when they're older unless asked for it that's oh. when they're adults that's what i say right it's just almost having to put some of your own boundaries up and saying okay if i can't take it i need to be disciplined enough to maybe get up and walk out of the room for a minute or you know i mean whatever yeah. Yeah. i feel like sometimes that happens well let me ask you one more question How can parents support their grown children when they don't support their values? Yeah, I think the answer is in your question, because you said, how can they support their children, their grown children, when they don't support their values? You still support your grown children. So I said to a woman just recently whose kid was like had moved out and moved in with a guy and on and on, lots of stories that, you know, she definitely violated the values of the family. And I said, does she know what you believe. Yes. Does she know how you feel about this? Yes. Well, then you can't be a one topic parent. You still have to love them. I think it's really hard because we get angry and we're frustrated. So now we're just one topic parents. You know, the, this girl was moving in with her boyfriend, which is totally against the values of this pastor and his wife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I had to say was you, you don't disown them over that. You, you actually set up some boundaries. In fact, they were setting up some adult type boundaries, meaning if you're going to choose to live as an adult, you're an adult, we're, we're paying for your college education. So actually, if you're going to live like that, then what you're going to have to choose to do is probably not, we're not going to pay for that. That doesn't mean we don't love you. We want to see you. Right. It's just setting some healthy, strong boundaries. We love you. Right. Well, I was saying, and I was saying it probably won't work now because of this Corona short term with the coronavirus. But I'm saying, what's your daughter into? Oh, she's a snowboarder. And I could tell that the pastor was also love snowboarding. I said, go snowboarding. And actually, frankly, don't bring it up. They already know how you feel. Because, you know, when you when your child has violated values, it it goes back to you can't want it more than they want it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you got to give them tough love. But tough love doesn't mean mean. Tough love shutting them they, out. Oh, no, no. And that's what parents do sometimes. What what tough love is, is that it means they have to live by the consequences that they've chosen. 
So they're choosing those consequences, but still go snowboarding with them, still, you know, create the relationship yeah. with them. I think that's what you do as a parent. And it's really hard, especially so really when they focus have- them on activities, do things you love with them. That's not all about that one thing. They're still welcome to Friday night dinner. They're still welcome to whatever. And actually you have a lot of conversations with people in your life who don't live by your values and you can still, you still show love and care and, and grace when it's your kid, then, you know, it's harder. I, I totally get that, but we're not going to bring them back by meanness. Now we are going to bring them back sometimes with tough love because when you go, Oh, like I know somebody who this kid was doing drugs and he was living in the house and the mom and dad actually literally had to say, you can't, he was 20. You can't live in our house and do drugs. Well, it, it almost caused the mom and the dad to get a divorce because the mom was saying he's going to become homeless. Guess what? For two weeks, he was homeless. I mean, think about your mom's heart right there. He was living yes. under a brick. Well, he didn't want to live that lifestyle. He'd been raised in a good home, a good foundation, good Christian home. He got addict, addiction is tough. It took two weeks. I mean, it, sometimes it takes a lot longer, I understand. Two weeks later, he goes, okay, I'm ready to come back and abide by your rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they might have yeah. saved his life by by, by doing that. And, but if you think those two I mean, you don't, but if, if somebody would think those two weeks were easy to not know where their son was and where was he sleeping and what was he doing, oh, that'd be right. terrible. That's the perspective right there. Saving them a lot of times doesn't always save them in the long run. Yes. And and so you got to put into those. And, and yet, what's the one question they still want to know? Do you still love me? They know you're viol- they're violating your values. You you raise them. They know what you believe. They know where your faith values are and all that. And if they stray, they still want to know, do you still love me? Mm-hmm. Well, what brings them back oftentimes is that love, not the, you know, the just constant meanness, constant nagging or constant, you know, you know, that's that's the key thing. Well, Jim, I know we've been chatting for a long time, but I am so grateful for your time and just your expertise in this area. So thank you for sitting down with me today. Hey, great job. I love your voice, too. You got the perfect podcast voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Really good. Great to be with you. And good luck with those three kids uh, as you're kind of right now, at least in your home, hanging out with them. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Are you subscribed to the podcast? If not, head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Are you active on social media? If so, I would love to interact with you on Instagram or Facebook at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.